Well, good morning. Um, I am excited to be with you this morning. It is my uh, first time getting to be in the worship experience at Grace Bible Church. It's my second time at the church, but my first time in the worship experience. Um, I get together with your pastor and a couple other ministers, and we get together to talk uh, and pray and, and try to figure out solutions to stuff. And, and occasionally I get together with your pastor and let him work me over in racquetball. Uh, if, if you know your pastor, you know he's competitive. You know how Wes is. He has that mild-mannered uh, Clark Kent look, but he plans to beat the snot out you when you're playing. So I'm one of his victims um, in racquetball, and he's whipping me back into shape. I am going to set this clock on purpose. Now, if my phone rings, I am not going to answer it. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. shouldn't. I turned it down. But every now and then, you know, when you... For those of us, and I can look at a few of you men in the room, over a certain age, technology stretches you. And so every now and then I think I have my phone off in some place that it should ring, and it rings, and it's incredibly embarrassing, and this is one. So if it rings this morning, I promise you I did turn it down, and my wife is walking in the, 80, in the Avon 39 this morning. So, so every so often I get a text from her, so if it starts vibrating, it's her telling me what mile marker she's at. Um... <laughs> She is, she is hanging in there. They did 26 miles yesterday, which, you know, I'm sure there's some af, af, athletes in the room. I'm an athlete. I don't even claim to try to do stuff like that no more. So I cheered her on. I cheered her on yesterday. Well, listen, I'm, I'm going to jump into our text today. It's in Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bible, turn with me. I have purposely chosen to read from the New Living Translation. So if you're one of those electronic Bible readers, you're good. You can go to whatever version you want to. But the New Living Translation captured a few words that just for me were emphatic. Um, to me, when we look at this text, as I looked at it, I called this a part of the hard things. The hard things. Those instructions in Scripture that are difficult, at least for some of us. I, I call them hard things because, you know, some of the things that God said for us to do, it's, 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 it's clear he wants us to do it, but it's hard to do. So, so let me give you a few examples of those. So, so one of the things that immediately jumped out to me that challenges me is considering others more highly than myself. I suspect I'm not the only one that's challenged by that, but, you know, you don't need to raise your hand. But for me, that's one of those things that challenged me. And you know when I'm most aware of that being challenging is at Thanksgiving when I'm at my mother-in-law's house in Chicago. My mother-in-law always wants me to pray. We get together. We say what we're thankful for before the meal, you know, and I'm counting the time down. Okay, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Can we get on with this? You know, I'm ready. But once it's time to eat, I am really not considering others more highly than myself. I have, I have found that I am really quite preoccupied with feeding my face because I've been anticipating that. Now, that's just one way that I'm mindful of my own brokenness when it comes to that. But that is not a non-negotiable. That is the expectation that God has established in his word. Another one is doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. So I was driving down I-10 yesterday, and I didn't see somebody on my right, and I cut them off. And they, they kind of expressed the lack of appreciation for that with giving me some sign language. And, and you, know, you know, I was really, I'm really sorry. I really am sorry. You know, I really am sorry. I was trying to get over to go 610 South. But you know what? I had to ask myself, am I as gracious when I'm the one being cut off as I want when I'm, being cut, when I'm cutting them off? 
It makes sense? In other words, I clearly want grace when I'm the guilty party cutting you off. But when you cut me off, you know, I'm not listening. I don't, I don't do sign language no more. God delivered me from that. But in my mind, I have some thoughts about you that are not that affirming. So it's the natural tendency that I'm struggling with that. And here's the one that I've struggled with my entire Christian faith. I've been born again since December 1983. I didn't grow up in church, y'all. So you have a former heathen, full-blooded, standing in front of you yesterday. Hook, line, and sinker. I was out there. And I went to church and I met the Lord. But after I met the Lord, you know, I started reading the Bible. I didn't own a Bible until 1984. I bought my first Bible in 1984. Schofield Study Bible. First time I paid $60 for a book other than in college in my life. I thought, man, they crazy want $60 for this Bible. But I bought it because I knew I needed it. But here's what I read. One time I was reading the Bible and it said, and this is Jesus talking, so, you know, I couldn't negotiate it. He said, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other one. I was like, man, you're crazy. <laughs> I mean, I, I would imagine I'm not the only man that has struggled with the concept of having somebody slap you and turn the other cheek. But the question we have to ask is, did Jesus mean what he said? Or was he putting it out there figuratively? No, I don't believe it was figurative. I mean, Jesus was expecting something from us. And today I want to tell you, these are parts of the hard thing. When I look at our text today, it is in the context of this reality that there are things that God expects from us that is difficult that I believe our passage in Luke 10 comes from. It's those things that are commonly known, but I say frequently neglected. We know to do them, but we may struggle with doing them. And I don't believe that I'm unique in any way. So I don't believe I'm the only person that at times when God has made his reveal crystal clear to me is wrestling with doing what God has said, which is why for a few moments today I wanted to talk to you about the thought of the battle of the wheels. The struggle between my will and God's will when it comes to doing what God has called us to do that is clear to us. It's one thing for something to be foggy. It's another thing for something to be clear. So, so for example, I absolutely know the moment I married my wife and we'll be married 31 years on the 26th of this week, whatever day that is. I, I, I got to get it down, but the 26th. I know the 26th, so three days from now. So, so it'll be 31 years I've been married to that young lady. But here's the point. It's God's will that I'm, I'm only with her. I don't have to question that. So, so if I choose to go somewhere else and do something else, can I now navigate away the will of God? Are y'all with me? Because this is the tension that I find. And I just picked that out. That's just one. It was a wife that said, yes, amen, by the way. <laughs> got that right. That was like my wife's mother-in-law said, got that right, boy. Yes. It is some things that are non-negotiable. It's crystal clear that it's the will of God. But y'all, I'm, I'm proposing today that there are moments in time that we battle with his will. And so for a few moments today, I want us to look at this text because I believe part of what we're seeing in Luke 10 is a struggle with wills, a struggle with the revealed will of God as we see. Verse 25 says, One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. 
Two words stood out for me as I looked at that verse first. But the first one I want to focus on is the word test. Because it begins to reveal to me what is a motive. The word test used in this passage is ekparazo. It means to try, to tempt, to put to a test. This person is putting Jesus to the test. It wasn't a question of did he really know what he was asking. That's going to be revealed later. The real issue is I'm trying to expose something in you. But I'm going to ask you this question. It's amazing to me how quickly he discovered that it wasn't a matter of Jesus being tested. It became the reality of him being tested. See, Jesus took this test and turned it into a teachable moment. He began to expose to the man because Jesus could see his heart and knew, you know the answer to the question. You aren't looking for understanding. You have a different motive going on. You're looking for justification, which is what we're going to see later in this text. Listen, beloved, I'm telling you today as we're wrestling with the battle of the wheels, Jesus is always in the business of trying to make his father known. So for you and I, sometimes he will have us because we'll bring our distortions into the faith journey and we have those hard things, as I call them, those things we're not necessarily resolved that we're going to practice. And Jesus will find a creative way to have us wrestling with them. And sometimes he'll use God's word. See, this lawyer never dreamed that Jesus was going to take what he knew. Jesus took his knowledge of God's word and used it to expose him that he had a problem. He understood the answer to the question before he asked the question. So we know he wasn't looking for the answer to the question. The truth is that Jesus still uses God's word in a similar way today to convict us. Now, maybe something I share today, maybe, will be convicting to you. But I can assure you what I'm sharing today is convicting to me. I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to us. The reality of God's expectation challenges me to the core because it's a non-negotiable. I don't get to negotiate with God based on his revealed will. I don't get to set the parameters. But sometimes I have to discover that God's going to let me see my own brokenness. And so this is what's taking place in this scenario. Jesus took this question and asked a question. The question was simple. What does the law of Moses say? You're an expert in the law. That's not accidental that the scripture tells us that. And when he calls him a lawyer in scripture, he's not a a lawyer like we joke about lawyers today. He's not that kind of lawyer. He is a spiritual religious expert. Knowledge in the law of Moses. He knows what it says, and so he's posing posing this question. What does it say? How do you read it? It was this that led him to answer the question that really exposed the problem. You see, because his answer revealed that he knew the answer to the question that he asked. His answer was, you know, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the first thing I want you to focus on today is that knowing God's will is not enough. Knowing God's will is not enough. It's not enough to know the will of God. As we will see in this case in the scripture, this man knew the will of God. The issue is how do we practice the will of God? You and I as Christ followers don't get the luxury to just have a lot of head knowledge when it comes to scripture and then be shallow when it comes to practice. The end of the day, this is what Jesus is now convicting him with and putting in front of him as the problem. His problem wasn't what he knew. His problem was what he was doing with what he knew. And so I want you to consider that as we look at this because I think this is a universal problem. 
And before we're too quick to focus on the lawyer, I want you to know, I believe this is common. It's a common practice to pick and choose the parts of Scripture that I'm going to apply. Now, I'm at GBC, Grace Bible Church, so I know that that may not be the norm in Grace Bible Church. So let me talk about some of them other churches out there that that might be more the norm. In Grace, they apply truth, they hear truth, they practice truth, they teach truth. But in some settings out there, folks hear stuff all the time, you know, and they ain't trying to respond to it. Think about it. This is so common that all you have to do is read the Old Testament. If, you, if you're sitting there struggling with me today and you're thinking, Dana, I'm still not seeing this, let me take you back to the Old Testament. In fact, let me take you shortly after the Exodus. I could take you to the Exodus, but for purpose, let me take you to the book of Judges, a particular book which is emphatic about the reality of how common it is for the people of God to know the truth and not practice. In fact, the book is known best by one statement in it. In that particular book, every time a judge died, the book said, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There's this cycle in the book of Judges that goes shortly after Joshua dies, and God raises up judge after judge, and every time God raises up a judge, he deals with the issues in the nation, and for a season they get right, but when that judge dies, they go right back to doing what's right in their own eyes, picking and choosing what parts of the truth they're going to apply. So you need to understand, y'all, I'm not talking at you. I'm talking at us because I believe this is a challenge that we have to wrestle with in broader ways. You see, as I think about Scripture, I see even godly people don't always do what they know. Godly people. And I think it's important for us as we wrestle with Scripture to be honest about what we see about the people in Scripture. One of the things I love the most about Scripture is God don't duck and dodge the difficult things. Rahab was standing on the corner, period. You can try to sanitize it any old way you want to. She ended up in the lineage of Jesus, which is a picture of redemption. But she was what she was. That's the truth. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed, period. God don't duck and dodge all those things. He lets us see the reality of the people that he draws in a relationship with them. Well, Jonah was a prophet who knew God's voice, who God had worked through and walked through, walked with, and who God used to write a book in the Bible. But when God came and told Jonah to go to Nineveh, where did Jonah go? The Bible tells us Jonah headed in the opposite direction towards Tarshish. Now, how is it that this godly man can do the exact opposite of what God is telling him to do? I want to propose that there are some times and some people that we have problems with that we hear God, but we're not necessarily listening to God. For Jonah, the Ninevites were those people. Jonah wasn't trying. Jonah could care less about the Ninevites being redeemed. You know, the average preacher would love to have the opportunity to go preach to a nation and a whole nation repent. Man, that sounds like something Billy Graham was doing. Jonah wasn't trying to do that. Jonah went to Nineveh as a result of being inside a fish for three days. He went by force because God was about to do some redemption. And then even after God did it, he had an attitude. I knew you was going to be gracious and merciful. I knew you was going to forget and rascals. For Jonah, the Ninevites were problematic. Listen, here's what you got to understand. They were problematic because they were the Assyrians and God had used them to discipline Israel. So in part, I understood why he was struggling. But the other side of it, I don't understand. Because God had made it clear to him, I want you to go and I want you to preach them a message of judgment. And he wasn't trying to hear it. He was blatant in it. Because for Jonah, he wasn't going to love that neighbor. See, it's similar to the guy who asked this question. Jonah was not about to love the Ninevites. Buck them jokers. As far as Jonah was concerned, they can go to Hades. 
Can't say the other word in church. But you know what I'm saying? Jonah had no desire to see them get right with God. And Jonah's a godly man. I don't think his response is unique to him. In fact, I think if we were honest and we looked throughout history, we would see manifestations just chronicled for us in the journals of history. One of the things that stands out to me that I've always struggled with as an African-American, and I believe Native, Native Americans would say the same thing, has been the Declaration of Independence. Now, let me say this. Before you cut me off in your listening, let's be honest. I'm as American as you are, born and raised in America. My mama ain't no immigrant. My mama's mama ain't no immigrant. I'm American. So I'm a... I'm a I don't have a card, but I would say card-carrying American, but I don't have one. But at the end of the day, what I want you to understand, I'm not trying to hate on the country, but I'm not trying to deny our history either. So when you look at this and you hear me read this statement, you have to think about what I'm talking about. The problem of knowing truth and practicing truth. You see, an African-American and a Native American would say what the founding fathers said and what they did conflicted. What they said and what they did. What did they say? They said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Although this was the standard that the founding fathers declared for their own freedom from England, it was not the standard that they practiced. And so we have to wrestle with the truth of certain things when you look at the, the reality. Is it one thing to know truth, and is it another thing to practice it? And I'm arguing today it is. And for the Christ follower, I want to tell you, I believe it's problematic when we know truth, but we don't apply it because we find those pieces that we pick and choose, which is what I believe Jesus is addressing, which is why he was inspired to use the story of the Good Samaritan. The Bible says the man wanted to justify his actions, to justify his actions. He just answered the question. Now he wants to justify his actions. What is the issue with his actions that he's trying to justify? The issue was who is my neighbor? Who are those folks out there that I don't feel like I have to love and be in loving relationships with? Listen, James made a statement that is important as I go back into this to think about. James said it's not enough or whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin. Ouch. For whoever knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, for him it is sin. You follow why for me I say this kicks my cheese when it comes to the reality of struggle with the wheels? Because I don't believe I get to negotiate. So, so let me give you some examples of what that looks like. That, that looks like I'm going to be in relationship with my wife's family. I'm going to pick on my wife because she's not here. Please don't go out and say I said this. I think my wife's family crazy, y'all. You know, so, so I married into the, the, the Adams family, you know, okay? So cause, now she would say that's my family, but that was the family I married into, you know? It was like, so, so the first day I meet her mother, because nobody trained me, I didn't have an active dad. You know, I, I, asked, her, I asked my wife to marry me, but I never talked to her mother. So the first day I meet her mother, <laughs> her mother used some vernacular that I can't repeat in church to tell me that she thought I was a rascal. I'm going to just sum it up like that, okay? You know, and I'm looking at my wife like, What's up with your mother? I mean, she just came at me, y'all, and she came at me now. You know, her mother grew up. She wanted 13. She grew up on the south side of the city. She don't have no problem expressing her thoughts. There are no passive-aggressive people in the hood. Folks tell you what they think. <laughs> Mugs will tell you. My mother-in-law told me what she thought of me, and I'm like, you don't even know me. But she came at me. Well, listen, here's my point. 
did I, did I get the luxury of being in loving relationship with her when I chose to marry her? So I'm going to take her daughter as my wife now all of a sudden, but I ain't going to be in a relationship with you. I don't think so. I had to come to grips with it. We had a rough start, but we had to be in relationship. Now, I told you it'd be 31 years, whatever day the 26 is this week. But my mother-in-law and my relationship became incredibly strong. Now, I'm the favorite son-in-law. <laughs> but it started out rough. Now, here's my point. We didn't, I didn't get the luxury of saying, man, I ain't, ain't going to deal with your mother. Your mother crazy. Now, I may still think that from time to time, but I don't say it. <laughs> but I love my mother-in-law, and I have a relationship with her. And why am I going to say Because listen, this whole thing about having relationship is central to the faith. You can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself without having both the vertical and the horizontal. So most of the tension for many of us is in this, right? The struggle is between me and you. I got to be in right relationship with you, particularly when we're different. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Don't let us be different, man. I ain't trying to feel you, you know. So Jesus went right to the core of the issue. People that people didn't like. We know Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. The issue here is the guy didn't like the Samaritans. How would Jesus know he didn't like the Samaritans? He was a Jew. So, so Jesus told to tell a story. He said, who is my neighbor? I got you. Here we go. He starts telling this story, and he uses the word good Samaritan. Man, that's, that's, that's an oxymoron for a Jewish person. And you see the tension that Jesus is creating because he's calling us not to be like us. This issue of struggling with my will versus the will of God is something we have to wrestle with broadly. I know I'm talking about it right here in these kind of relationships, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter where it's at. For some of us, it might be doing something God's called us to do. And we're struggling with doing it because, you know, God, I know you're telling me to do this, but because I can't see how, I'm just not going to do it. Jesus made a statement that, that really challenges me. Because he made it three times over, and anytime he emphasizes something, I have to wrestle with it. In John 14, Jesus said something along this line three times. If you love me, if you love me, you will obey what I command. How can you and I love the Lord and then not do what he says? Do we get that luxury? So what does that look like for us when I'm talking about the battle of the will? Is it possible that God is in this room asking somebody in this room to step out on faith and do something that they don't know how to do? You think Peter knew how to step out that boat on water? Heck no. There ain't no way. I learned the hard way that, you know, God doesn't give us the luxury of saying you get to figure it out. 1994, and I'll be real brief, the Lord called me to leave the corporate environment and go into ministry full-time to work for a mission that had been started in 1905 by Moody Church. And, you know, I, listen, I was a big fan. I was down in the area working, but, you know what, I've been poor. I wasn't trying to be poor again. Uh, maybe none of y'all ever grew up poor. I grew up poor. That's how we said We were poor. I grew up poor. So, so I get a little education, start working in corporate America, making a little money, and they come and ask me, hey, we really want you to join the staff the mission. Okay, what does that mean? That means you go out and ask people to give you money, you give it to us and we pay you. And I thought, man, y'all crazy. <laughs> I mean, think about it. For a guy who didn't grow up in church, what about that makes sense? That didn't make no sense. I thought, man, okay. But you know what? They came back again and I started praying. And it was in October of 94, I'll never forget it. I remember sitting in Moody, guys buying me lunch. He was sitting there telling me what the Lord told him about me. And I was thinking, why ain't the Lord telling you nothing about you? 
That's what I was thinking. Why he telling you nothing about you? He's telling you the Lord told me I'm supposed to tell you, you're supposed to do this. And so, you know, he asked me what I pray, because if he would have shut up long enough, I'd have told him, listen, the Lord ain't said nothing to me. So when the Lord say something to me, we can talk. But the Lord hadn't said nothing to me. But listen, the man said, would you pray? I start praying, you know, and it's like, okay. But in, in the process of praying, the Lord had given me a wife. She didn't grow up like I grew up. So I tell my wife what the Lord told my friend that we're supposed to be praying about. And my wife was like, that ain't God. You tell your friend the same thing I thought. You tell your friend he should do it. Well, we started praying. That was October. In July of 95, the Lord convicted me that I didn't trust him. He made it crystal clear. I remember where I was at. And I was like, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it, Lord. But you got to tell that woman you gave me. <laughs> I sure did. And, and I'll be quick, but I'll say this. The Lord did. My wife came back to me. That was in July. In September, my wife came back and said, and she was crying, and I thought I was in trouble. For the married men, you know what I'm saying. I was like, <laughs> okay, what did I do? And she was like, we supposed to do it. Well, I don't know what she's talking about. That was July. It's September. She said, we supposed to do it. I said, we supposed to do what? And she said, we supposed to go to Sunshine. And it was like terror that came over me. Oh, my God, he did it. He did it. Oh, this wasn't what I was expecting. And listen, y'all, I say all this to say that God had us step out the boat. I had no clue how we was going to do what we did. I didn't know what I was doing. I got a degree in biology and a minor in chemistry. How am I going to run a mission? I, I'd just been a Christian for a decade. I'm still learning stuff. The Lord was like, do you trust me? And we did it. And here's what I share with you. We have never experienced the biggest fears that I had. Of course, I walked away from the security of a regular check, but I want to tell you God provided in ways that were unexplainable. We stepped out the boat, and we experienced the provision of God. And I was reminded when we did it, this must have been what it felt like when Moses told the people to stand back and behold the salvation of God. You will not get to see God until you step in that water. And so for somebody, I don't know what God's telling you to do. I'm telling you, in my own faith journey, I have struggled with my will versus his will. It's been the battle of the will, and I don't think it's unique there. And so we see this guy, and he goes through, and Jesus asked him a question, and he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And in telling the story of the Good Samaritan, the Bible tells us that several people came after the guy gets beat up and left half dead. A Levite, a priest, and then a Good Samaritan. And he asked him, now, which one was the neighbor? It's this picture. Listen, y'all, we have to be careful with the things that we let create uh, barriers for us when it comes to people. I brought up my mother-in-law because I have a very incredibly strong, healthy, loving relationship with her today. But there are other people and other dynamics that have been difficult. One of the things that have just been a perplexing to me since I've been a, a Christ follower, particularly in the last decade, has been how political issues, particularly political parties, have separated the church. Now, I know y'all may not invite me back no more, but listen, for some people, that person is a Democrat. I know I'm in an environment that you're likely going to vote Republican. So, so is that neighbor, the question for you, is that person a Democrat? Or is that person a Republican? At what point does a person's political view preempt or triumph the church? Please, somebody. I don't know. So if you want to educate me after the service, I'm open. But I see nothing in Scripture that that's how I think politically, how I choose to vote, somehow separate me from being in a relationship with somebody who thinks differently than me. I don't see an out for that in Scripture. I see the church as being supreme. I see the kingdom of God as being over all. I don't see America as special to God in a global sense. I see it as part of what he's doing in the earth. 
And so for me to somehow get separated from other believers because we may think differently on some issues and it's like God doesn't give me an out when I think differently from somebody and now Saul of a sudden be like this, this guy with the Good Samaritan or like Jonah was with the Ninevites. Jonah wasn't going to have a relation with him. Y'all can go to Hades. That's what Jonah was at. And I'm arguing today, y'all, the church needs to be the church of Jesus Christ first and foremost. And everything else is secondary. Everything. And I know, I know it got quiet in here and nobody shouted me down, but I'm telling you, this is my passion. At what point do we stop letting anything like that separate us as Christ followers? I get to vote. I vote every election. Voted every election since 1980. I have never let my vote somehow separate me from people that I have loving relationships with that may choose to vote differently from me. I think that's their privilege, and I think it's okay. But as the church, the church of Jesus Christ, I think we need to have a relationship so across all kind of things people can see. Man, there's something special about them folks because they stay in relationship. They stay in relationship regardless. See, you can't love your neighbor as yourself and not be in relationship. Part of what I'm arguing today, and I'm arguing that it is the will of God. So whatever you're wrestling with as I'm bringing this up, you wrestle with, is it the will of God? Is it the will of God that you and I stay in healthy relationships? And you can think along any lines you want to. For some people, it may be your boss. You might be, man, ain't no way I'm having a, that joker is a rascal. Somebody else, it could be like me, your in-laws. Don't say nothing. Could be your in-laws. For somebody else, it could be your ex. Somebody in this room could have been through a painful divorce or in the process. Does God let us off the hook when he tells us to respond a certain way? I'm proposing today that God is in the business of making himself known, and it's not just Jesus' responsibility to do it when it's painful. I believe it's all our responsibility. And so sometimes the relationships we maintain with people are difficult, but it still gives a chance for people to get a chance to see the presence of God. Paul made a statement as I get ready to wrap this thing up that's powerful to me in Ephesians chapter 5. And I believe it's important for us to understand this as Christ followers. If you're not a Christ follower, this doesn't apply to you. You can act any old way you want to. But for the Christ followers, I don't believe we get to negotiate all this. Paul says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Don't be imitators of anybody else, particularly if they're not godly. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and do what? And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. See, to me, to love our neighbors, ourselves is what it means when I start wrestling with considering somebody above myself. It's all of those things that I talk about that's difficult. One of the most difficult passages for me that Jesus said is this whole thing about loving your enemies. Come on now, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Really? Come on, Jesus. Am I the only guy thinking? Come on, Jesus, that's an error. That's a typo. <laughs> Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Everything about that passage is countercultural. That's because Jesus is not calling us to be like us. He's calling us to be like him. You see, the truth is, Jesus loved all of us when we were unlovely. None of us struggle with that. I know what I was. I know how I was living. I ain't ever struggled with being a sinner, needing a savior. Never. 
man, God, I want all that grace, all of it. I want some of your grace. <laughs> I don't struggle with it when I'm looking at myself, but I may struggle with it when I'm looking at you. It's very similar to whether I get cut off or I cut you off. It all depends on how I look at it. Listen, there's a whole lot to be said, but as we wrestle with this, the will of God is clear. Jesus said by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Hello, somebody. How can the church look like the church and still agree to disagree politically? I believe we can do it. I believe we have to do it. And I believe the only way we can do it is by having conversations that heal. Conversations that heal means you actually get to hear me and you understand why I think like I think and I get to hear you and we get to wrestle with things. Because at the end of the day, we're more committed with being the church than we are with being anything else. I have no other title that I claim. Some of y'all probably ain't figured it out yet, but I'm an African-American guy. <laughs> Some of y'all think I'm Puerto Rican or Dominican, Cuban. Y'all don't know what that mug is up there. I get claimed in all those Latino countries when I travel. They start talking Spanish. I'm like, man, I'm a yellow black guy. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> don't know. Paquito Espanol, that's my only line. But at the end of the day, can I let any other title that's associated with me trump the association of being a Christ follower? I'm telling you, we can't. And I want to close with the reality. Here's what I believe this at stake. The world is looking for a faith that's authentic. And a faith that's authentic is centered in relationship. And you and I can be in relationship even when we disagree, like me and my mother-in-law. Love my mother-in-law. But it took years to get to where we are. But because I was committed to her daughter, I was stuck with her. <laughs> well, listen, in some ways, because you committed to Christ, you stuck with me. It's the same picture. If you and I are in Christ Jesus, we stuck together. Now we just got to figure out how to have healthy, strong, vibrant, loving relationships well, you still get to be you and I still get to be me. But we're not going to let that separate us. Beloved, I came by here today just to tell you, I believe the battle of the wheels is a challenge in the church, challenge on an individual level and a challenge on a global level. But at the end of the day, God wants to make himself known through us. And it's in looking and being different that the world sees something special is happening among them folks. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word and how you uh, use it to challenge our hearts. Father, thank you for the men and women under the sound of my voice and uh, just the processing that they're doing right now. God, of course, my heart's prayer for them is that whatever you spoke to them today, God, they would be saying to you, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. God, I believe collectively we want to be more like you and we want to make sure our lives really do reflect your presence and bring you honor that you would establish your kingdom in the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.